Hello and welcome to Crow Jam, the podcast where two sisters try to develop and pitch a board game concept in under an hour. I'm Miriam. I'm Georgia. We're Big Crow Games, and you can find us at Big Crow Games on Twitter, or find some of our creations on our itch page at big-crow.itch.io. Um, Georgia, trick or treat? Ooh, a uh, trick. <laughs> um, this Do a flip! For opening the uh, concept of the episode. Uh, yes, it, it is October for real this time. For real, real. Uh, welcome uh, to spooky season, and we're doing uh, one of our patented Halloween episodes. How's this one going to work? Um, yes, Halloween shenanigans. Okay, so uh, I asked you to come up with double the prompts for this episode. Uh, a trick and a treat for both theme and mechanic. So something that you would really like to see or make and something that maybe you're not so keen on. And I've done the same, and we're going to flip some coins and hopefully not end up with the most uh, dreadful, dry um, Euro game. Making our nightmare game. So are we going to say what the choices are, or are we going to flip the coins and only say what the result is? Like, whether it's the trick or the treat? Oh, what's more interesting? I think Um, it might be more fun if we don't reveal what the other choice was. Okay, all right. So we're starting with your uh, mechanic ideas, and we're just going to flip a coin. Heads is heads is treat. Heads is treat. Tails is trick. Okay. Okay. Here goes. Coin is flipping, and it comes up tails, which means that the theme that I am contributing is space exploration. Okay. All right. Should we do my theme? Yes. I'm sorry, Miriam, it's Tails. (laughs) Oh no! Oh god! Yeah, this is truly the worst of all possible worlds. (laughs) Okay, so my um, mechanic uh, for trick was historically accurate. So we have to make a historically accurate space exploration game. uh, And then it's time to flip for our mechanical ideas. Maybe if we get ahead, we we can do some judicious swapping for that to work we'd have to get a heads i have flipped a tails which oh, means no. that our game has to include a points tracker fine okay so so um and we're flipping so mechanic... your, your mechanic came up heads okay so that means um stacking things so yeah you suggest you said putting things on top of other things yes uh okay okay so <laughs> so I I guess it's time to start brainstorming. So obviously when I think like historically accurate space exploration, the thing that immediately comes to mind is like the space race of the 1950s through 1980s, you know, mm-hmm. the sort of Cold War space race. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially there's a version of historically accurate space exploration where we like do it about now. <laughs> Make a. This is the worst thing that's ever come out of my mouth. Like, make a game about Elon Musk. <laughs> okay, sure. Taking it um, entirely another direction. What if we um, like uh, cheated a little bit on the theme, and by space exploration, we were just talking like 
um, astronomy, astrology, like uh, charting constellations or like navigation by the stars. Yeah, I'm totally fine with that. I think we could also think about uh, space exploration in the sense of uh, like, you know, just sort of sending out rovers and stuff. Like it doesn't have to be about manned space travel. Or it could be inner space, which is the oceans. Uh, Hollow Earth and we live on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favourite conspiracy theory. Um, uh, The other thing we could do, which would be a big old fudge, would be to do like a speculative thing. So we tried to sort of make something that was about the future, but that was sort of accurate in some way. That is probably the least interesting Uh, way to combine the themes to me okay sure now okay here's i think i'm just gonna say i feel like possibly if we run the tapes i said mechanic first and you heard theme but i'm not sure that that was the case i think that might be what happened either way it's three tails and a head yeah this Um, is true but then we would have ended up with what um party planning (laughs) historically accurate party planning (laughs) Yeah, which is just, you know, like one of those games that like, uh, oh, you've got to get the right thing for the Countess's ball. Oh my god, I think that we've just received a game that might not be too dissimilar to that. There's Obsession? Is this like a regency? It's bizarre. I have not played it, but I went to a board game cafe with some friends from my partner's work. Lovely people, very different tastes in board games to me. Um, okay. <laughs> we still had a good time and we managed to found, find some middle ground, but sh- uh, the the person from Mandy's work was showing me obsession and just talking about how much she loves it and how it's like playing a Jane Austen novel and I was like curling up and dying inside. So I, here is the first thing that came to mind and I'm not quite sure yet how I would incorporate the points tracker, <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm imagining something with a really great, like, sort of um, socialist realist slash propaganda poster art style, uh, and it's like a rocket builder. So you, yeah. you have loads of, you have parts and ways of acquiring parts, and you stack them up to make the best rocket, and maybe your opponent has American parts. <laughs> <laughs> and you are in some way trying to stack them up to build the best rocket. Um, and I think it's, that more or less has to be it, right? It's like it's called Space Race. <laughs> okay, podcast yeah. over. Shortest one ever. I think we probably should start the timer. Oh yeah, we should go. Uh, give me one minute to... <laughs> she has started now. So yeah, like... I think that we would want to make it more complicated than that. Maybe it's to do with like the way you acquire your parts and it has to score with a points tracker. So I guess maybe there has to be like, you get this many points for this type of part and this many points if your rocket holds together. Maybe you have to uh-huh. do a launch at the end where you shake the table. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really good. Um, okay. Yeah, I think that uh, I like I like this idea. Like we don't because it doesn't need to go too heavy on mechanics. Like it's going to be largely a stacking game with some like uh, you know like 
crunch in terms of like how you gain things. Yeah. Um, maybe a, a sort of cycle. Um, a game which comes to mind, and it's it's not really similar necessarily, but there's this one called Project L. Have you seen this? I have seen this. So- and it's sort of like a like puzzle level up uh, thing where when you complete like one tile by like filling it with with pieces you get to buy a new piece and like you can choose from a selection and that you know and then you get a new tile and that those pieces that you get hopefully help you to fulfill a new tile and get more pieces and like the sort of collection of pieces that you have is what's moving along with you the thing that I don't want us to do is kind of fudge this challenge. I feel like we we set ourselves something tricky to do. We we made mm-hmm. it so that we could have just as easily had the opportunity to make a game that was completely in our wheelhouse. Yeah. And I think we can take this in a direction that that is still, you know, very squarely a big crow game. But I don't want us to like drop the ball on particularly on historically accurate yeah, right. So, so I think we do have to do something that maybe ties into the Cold War, unfortunately. <laughs> I think I, we I might. I mean, that's. Yeah. I, in terms of space race, I think we're both probably fairly equally uninformed. Um, uh, but you, you're, you, I mean, I, your general historical knowledge is going to. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I. Trump mine. I have a PhD in. The, the history of the Cold War, but yeah, I don't yeah, know a lot sure, about the fair. space race. No, go right. Um, no, you know. it's it's fair. I don't. I don't know all that much. Um, but uh, yeah, like I th- I think you know we can make some concessions to what we do know, and maybe you know lampshade a little bit what we don't know. But I feel like I would want it to have some. You know the hallmarks of a historically accurate game of the kind that neither of us like. You know, mm-hmm. like maybe there's cards with really ugly art of like Stalin on it. The name is like the name of a city or location that's sort of like not all that well known now, but was really central at some key stage of history. Yeah, I don't think we have to go that far, but I would like there to be something, maybe something in the the play being maybe like um asymmetrical. Oh, you mean like asymmetrical okay, well... in some way so that like maybe each like the the example that I would think of would be that let's say that the game is in some way by influenced by how many workers and how much money you have. Mm-hmm. is that the player representing the United States would start with a lot more money and the player representing the USSR would start with a lot more workers. Like, that is completely abstract and might have nothing to do with what we design, but that's what I mean by a kind of asymmetrical okay. idea for it. I mean, that honestly sounds like, just on a mechanical, tied into theme thing, sounds pretty dope. It sounds like it also might be a worker placement game. If I can suggest either an addition or a or an alternative, could we make the Cold War element be that is, there's kind of like, uh, it's like somewhat hidden play and there's like an espionage element? Oh, that would be like, really cool. You can cool. steal like uh, concepts or parts or something. Or scientists, maybe? like Another player, maybe by like committing resources to spying or like, um, I don't know, to like education or what, what have you. Yeah. Sort of. I like that. I think that takes it in a more ambitious direction than just like 
this is a game where you're competing countries trying to build a better rocket. Like, I still like the idea of it having this, like, completely silly, very big crow-esque part of it mm-hmm. where you build a rocket out of interconnecting pieces and at the end you shake the table to see if it holds together. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I do like the idea of there also being, yeah, something a little bit more, with just a little bit more teeth to it. And I do love the idea of there being like corporate espionage or I guess like international espionage. It's not corporate. Uh, yeah. In it. So it could be something where like, um, yeah, you, you're you in a, a race to construct the parts and then stack the parts of your of your rocket. And maybe you can't see what your opponent is doing mm. but you can <laughs> there's an iron curtain between you <laughs> <laughs> but you can spend like maybe like an entire turn to just spy or whatever and if they've completed a part that you haven't completed yet you can like sort of do that for free or i don't know no um, i like that here's a possible thought uh riffing on the the sort of throwaway thing that I just said about workers and money is money what you need to like acquire parts but workers what you need to attach them to your rocket or something like that so uh-huh. you can sort of maybe there's a like a trade off there in terms of what you can do and with what resource uh so yeah so money equals parts and uh workers equals like work basically (laughs) this is so true workers equal work bestie you are right (laughs) i'm just (laughs) i'm just trying to like um take some notes so that i can i can uh refer back to things yeah i got you okay Uh, i Um, mean that is i'm not a hundred percent wedded to that idea or anything but things that we've said so far that i've liked is definitely the element about espionage in some way uh the idea that you can't see what each other is doing or you can't see it easily. So having like a divider between the two players, um, which I do think it would be very funny to call it the Iron Curtain. Uh, (laughs) uh, And I definitely see this as having quite a silly building game as part of it. I don't see the rocket element of it as being super duper serious. Like, I would rather it was sort of a load of, like, oddly shaped flower pots and nose cones and stuff. And Mm. maybe, you know, like, maybe they're colour-coded or they have to go in a particular order and you can add, like, a certain number of rockets. I recently played Junk Art, which is a game you have recommended a few mm-hmm. times on the podcast, I think, and you are your recommendation is a hundred percent rock solid. It's close to a perfect game, but I do like the idea that maybe like you could put lots of rockets, like lots of engines, on it, uh, mm-hmm. and try and make one. I guess that would give it like a more solid base when you shook the table or something, or it would count towards the points tracker. You know, yes. like you get points per sort of properly installed engine. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we sort of want to know, like, maybe a little bit what our structure looks like. Like, is it a, um, you know, like a like a buckaroo? Okay. Is it like a situation where you're hanging things onto a pre-existing structure? Is it a thing where you're stacking things up? I was imagining a tower. 
Um, mm-hmm. And maybe with like you, there are certain parts that it has to have to be successful. Like the nose cone has to be on the top or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also open to it being done in other ways. Yeah. So I think it's just uh, the important thing, and the, you know, again, this is one of those things that like could be worked out with with testing and whatnot. But to some extent, we can imagine. Like, okay, if we're doing this thing where you shake the table at the end, uh, is there some way to increase the chances that that's not just going to be an avalanche? <laughs> yeah. So I guess what I was originally thinking when, like, the idea for the game first popped into my head was that mm-hmm. the parts would almost be interlocking. Like, it would be like stacking up flower pots or something. Oh, okay. So maybe it could all, it could be um, sort of like a Lego style um situation like um obviously like everything is not necessarily cubes but maybe there's some kind of like um fitting that is present on like each side of each thing and then yeah um, like maybe each thing's just got sort of a a grooved or hollow bottom or something so that you can you know that you stand a relatively good chance of getting it attached it's just like how good the fit is yeah it could even be like there's multiple styles of thing like that that just kind of make all the parts look kind of cool and greebly and make your rocket look cool and greebly yeah but also serve like a structural purpose yeah and i think also having things maybe in sort of different sizes and you can try and you know you can work towards having a game that's got a, a design that's got a stable base Things mm-hmm. of that sort, so that there are tactical decisions you can make to make your rocket more stable, but they might mm-hmm. not always be perfectly aligned with the decisions you'd make to make your rocket high scoring. Yeah. So that there's like, you know, some tactical bite to it in terms of what you choose. Like, do you take okay. a bit of a risk to maybe make a higher scoring rocket that might explode on launch? Okay. Should we do a little bit of imaginary play? I know it's early doors to be doing that, but I think it might help us. I think it might help. And also I feel like the core ideas come quite quickly. So getting into more sort of experimental stuff is not a bad idea. So let's say I'm um, the Soviet Union. Uh, You're the, the West and I guess specifically the United States. So... Um, I've started with a small amount of money, let's say five space bucks. Yes. Um, but many workers. I've got like 16 workers over here. What you got? Uh, well, I've got 16 space bucks, but only five workers. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I guess there's a question about whether you can gain more of a certain thing, right? Like, can I spend, can you spend some of your money to get workers? Yes, I think so, and I think conversely, you could uh, convert workers into money, or maybe there's just some kind of different economy style, if you see what I mean. Like, yeah, but then I think there needs to be ways for each of us to get both if the resources are expendable. Yeah, maybe completing parts gives you sort of floating points that you can put into different. Uh, you know, either space bucks or, um, yeah. or workers. Yeah, I like that. 
Um, so completing parts could be like what helps you level up your operation. Yes. And then I uh, am, I'm, I'm really low on parts uh, and I can only afford one thing. So I'm just going to start by getting me this big square engine block that I think is going to make a stable base. Um, but because I've got uh, a lot of workers, it you know takes me no time at all to get that built. Okay, but you have spent some quantity of your resource, your money resource, in order to do yeah, so. Yeah, I've spent four of my space bucks to do that. Um, I've, I've used four of my workers to put it on my structure. And in doing so, like I've gained myself two floating points that I think I'm going to use to hopefully get me some more money. Okay, so... Um... I wonder if, like, uh, to take this into slightly more into Eurogame territory, rather than the points being convertible into money or workers, maybe you can put them into a system that, like, generates money or workers or something like that, okay. so that they so that it has like a longer term implication. Because otherwise, yeah, sure. if you're always say you spend four points for a part, but it generates you spend four bucks for a part and it generates two points, you're always going to be like spending down mm -hmm. kind of thing, which I guess is historically accurate. <laughs> um, yeah. I wonder... I guess like, yeah, we could have a sort of machine and you put your little, you know, like point tracker things in there and then there's an output that happens every turn. Like... Yeah. Or you could spend them on cards that were sort of like power cards. So like... It would be a policy like um, uh, like free university and then you get more workers or a policy mm -hmm. like um, I don't know, economic strictures and then you get more money. <laughs> yeah, love it. <laughs> to make it more like a historical game, I guess. Yeah. Um, God, we're making a weird game. I knew <laughs> that this episode was going to be like amazing um in the most scary possible way you know <laughs> it was going to take our creativity in new directions um i mean the other thing that i wanted to toy with is whether there's other ways to or ways to make the acquisition of new parts more exciting like instead of buying them with resources is there some other thing that we could do either with maybe some randomness modeling or by having like tasks you have to complete or something that you know that just adds a little bit more texture to the idea of getting the parts hmm. i don't know what you think about that i think that could be cool i'm not i think something popped into my mind and i lost it yeah, I've um. sort of been having that experience as well. Because I sort of like the idea of, like, we've done things like this in our games before where, say, to, like, acquire item X, you have to achieve condition Y using things you already have. Mm -hmm. um, and I wondered whether that would kind of translate over, but I feel like that would be adding potentially two or three new systems to the game, so it might not be the right move. All right, how about this? This is very... Uh, maybe it doesn't feel like it's necessarily, I guess, super, like, 
balanced in terms of historical accuracy, but the cards you were talking about, like the policies like mm. free university or whatever, what if one side of these cards has the policy that will get you some kind of like, um, I don't know, permanent uh, bonus to workers or something, and the other side just has a picture of a part that you can get. If you like, you know, if you like mortgage your policy, you can get you... Um, yeah, a part. No, I really like that. And I also like it because I think then you could have each of the two powers have like a custom starting deck that you could carefully balance with design and testing. You know, design and testing, not shown. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that should that should be our uh, our podcast like tagline. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the other day that like it's it's a it's a fairly regular occurrence for you to play a game at the cafe and be like, oh, I really like the idea. I'm just not so sure about the execution. With us, you don't. <laughs> you just get the idea, no execution. Yeah, we're just all the good bit, none of the hard bit. <laughs> uh, that's what makes us the best game design company in theory. Anyway, yeah. So there would be these two like balanced starting decks, and then maybe also ways to acquire new cards. I think there would probably have to be ways to acquire new cards. Yeah, um, but and you... maybe the espionage element could be not only like gaining knowledge for rocket building. Maybe it could, it could literally just be stealing cards. Like, oh, they seem to have some kind of idea over there about free education. <laughs> <laughs> and we I'm not sure, but it. maybe we should give it a go. <laughs> yeah, I really like that because it seems like then espionage could just be a card that was in everyone's deck, but maybe mm-hmm. it has like a relatively good part on the other side, so it's like mm-hmm. a tough decision to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you could maybe use it to get a better part from the other side or i guess maybe to like take a glance at your opponent's rocket and then take the matching part like one part that you could see on there yeah that would yeah. be quite I was fun i'm sort of imagining that i think it 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 might potentially be fun to kind of have kind of like options about how you undergo espionage but well maybe we are already making this quite complicated well so. i think that could just be multiple cards right like you could just have one that's like um, technical espionage that just lets you take a peek and mm-hmm. and try and copy apart from your opponent's rocket or one that's like, you know, kind of a riskier, like a higher risk espionage where you can take a card. Mm-hmm. I think that you could you could just have those as like balanced cards in the deck. Now, is this sort of taking on deck buildery elements? Like, do you always have access to all your cards or do you like draw up a hand at the start of your turn. Oh, yeah. Um, I think... Hmm. I think perhaps this... Yeah, we don't want to make it too... too deep. I I was sort of imagining there being, like, a, a, few, a couple of cards on display and, like, um, when you gain points or, or you know, what, whatever it is you get from, like completing one stage of your rocket you can use those to gain cards yeah okay i like it that that makes sense and i think it's very neat um okay so now that we've like 
puzzled it perhaps out. Perhaps the points oh. tracker, like maybe you you get points on the points tracker when you complete a bit, and you have the option to spend points, like go down in points in order to buy, um, like upgrades. So it's slightly engine buildery in that sense that you need to like expend something in order to, yeah. Yeah, that... that does make sense. And it also, um, yeah, I wonder if maybe like some of the better like abilities or upgrades maybe have like a point cost as well as an opportunity cost. So like mm. if you if you want to spy and take a card from an opponent, you don't just miss out on the part that's on the other side. You also have to spend a victory point to make to make the cost a little bit more real. Okay, yeah. It just I it doesn't have to be that, but that was something yeah. that we could do if it felt like there was a balance issue. Mhm. Yeah. Um and I obviously balancing this would be one of the biggest challenges of making it, but I think it would also be one of the most interesting ways of making it, especially if you could if you were trying to do it in a way that was thematic. So yeah. that um so so that it had like some asymmetry to it. Now it's totally cool if we have, and it might be a better game for it. Have we dropped uh the sort of money and workers idea? And are we just using the cards or are money and workers still a factor? Um my imagination of it still has the money and workers in there. Um, yeah, and the cards just let you generate more of them. Yeah, I think that most of the card abilities would just be something to do with money and or workers. Okay, yes, this like, makes... Maybe some of them would be like, um, you know, that would give you the permanent option on your turn to like spend a certain amount of money to get, get more workers yeah. or vice versa. Yeah, okay. Or yeah, or like obtain money or obtain workers or mm -hmm. yeah, Things like that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Now that we have, I think, added a lot more texture to what we were working with, do we want to revisit Imagining a Turn? Ooh, yes. Okay. So we're, we're so... back where we were. You're the USSR. Mm -hmm. I'm the United States. Um, and... I am about to take my turn. So I've built the first stage of my rocket. It's got like boosters on the bottom. Um, I have 16 money and five workers, um, which means I have enough money to trade for a good part, but I don't have enough workers to attach it to my rocket. So... I'm going to use the reverse side of one of the cards that I have in my hand mm -hmm. uh, to convert five of my money into five workers. Now, does that use my complete turn? It seems like yes. Um, I'm not sure. I'm sort of imagining that cards or at least some cards could almost be like permanent power-ups that they mm. let you do a thing on your turn once maybe okay oh um, so once so actually i turn over the card that says once per turn you may convert x mm -hmm. dollars into workers yeah and maybe i've uh, also previously turned over a card or maybe i started with a card that's like once per turn gain dollars 
Yeah. Um, so then in so doing, you have maybe got yourself the workers. I guess if you're gaining workers on your turn, maybe those workers only like enter the workforce on your subsequent turn. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I was thinking about like, are workers spent or do they like go into timeout? They're, di- yeah, they're different from money. Question. Yeah. It might be, it, it might be that maybe that you have to like cycle them into a timeout space and, and shift them along, you know, so, mm-hmm. uh, and then maybe one of the permanent power ups you could get is like your workers, they're just so full of patriotism. Uh, you know <laughs> the, the the five year plan is completed within four years, and you can uh, you can put them in time out for one less turn. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think that that that's how I imagine it. Like in a kind of worker placementy, this this isn't quite like getting into worker placement, but like yeah, you have a permanent sort of store of workers, but they're only available like when they're not tired. A, yeah. Um, so timeout zone, and then like some kind of upgrade to that. Okay, so having having done that, I use my money and workers to buy a part for my rocket and attach it to my rocket. Um, and I'm aiming for. I mean, is the goal height? Is it sort of most parts on rocket? Are we thinking that there's going to be like, uh, you know, points for color sets or for types of part your rocket obviously wouldn't be valid unless it had let's at least say like engines and a nose cone yeah so it also has to be valid i think that um so if i take a super basic example of of like a points tracker game ticket to ride when you complete a route you score some points based on the length of that route so we could have like during play, um, you build a certain point part, you score the points for that part, and those points can be spent to get like cards that are, you know, abilities or upgrades. Okay. But also at the end of Ticket to Ride, you have your destination tickets that are like if you have completed, I don't know, um, uh, Denver to Oklahoma. That's not. I don't think those are two cities in Ticket to Ride, but um, you get a certain number of points. Okay. Um, so it's like there's scoring during the game and then there's scoring at the end of the game, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. That that makes a lot of sense, I think. Um, and also could, could make for some interesting stuff in the design where maybe, like, again, with the asymmetry idea, like the different powers have slightly different uh, win conditions or that you pick a random win condition... Like at the start of the game, you pick from a small deck of win conditions that's known to you and secret to your opponent. Mm. Um, things you could do things like that to uh, to kind of spice it up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yes, I like this. I'm going to leave that sort of, uh, I guess, uh, not necessarily in the mix for the moment because I think with our with our theme. It might get a little silly if there's objectives that are just like your rocket has the most parts or yeah, whatever. That, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, um, I, 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 something like that would be cool, but like we could also make it a bit, a bit more straightforward. Just like, yeah, I'm not quite sure. 
some some sort of objective that's like is shared but reasonable. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder, I mean, the objectives could maybe be comparative in some way, though, to sort of reflect the the kind of race element of it. Like, if you have more of this type of part than your opponent, or if your rocket is taller or something. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, that's That might be interesting, sort of thematically. Or it might be boring. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this isn't going to be a boring game, even if you're. No, but, okay. Obviously, some people would not like this, but I do. Um... I do feel like we've sort of um, we're moving towards a very us version of a historically accurate space exploration game. I mean, this was always going to happen. Um, I I don't think we were going to make you know Twilight Imperium or wait no um, Sidereal was a. What's... Apollo, yeah, yeah. Twilight Imperium. When when we when we were texting each other with our suggested good and bads, I was like, if we get the wrong set of roles, we're gonna have to make Twilight Imperium. <laughs> I I really know nothing beyond the fact that it's a space game. It, yeah, I know that it's a space game with a big box that takes a long time to play, and that's everything I need to know to know I don't want to play it. <laughs> there's a section in the shop on the on the whole our shop is very helpfully organized into like co-op games kids games uh abstract games new releases there's just a whole section of black boxes there's that's space <laughs> <laughs> funny okay so i've imagined my turn and now play passes over to to your side of the iron curtain mm-hmm um yeah so uh i guess i am kind of cash poor um having spent a decent amount of my money um so i'm looking at my part options and i really don't have that many um but i have a few points on the points tracker so i'm going to spend a handful of those and gain myself a card that i can see that will just allow me to get money on my turn um and i'm and my plan is to just hopefully use that at least for the time being as like a permanent upgrade that will let me get money so i can hopefully buy parts okay um yeah and then i'm gonna my workers uh built a thing last turn so i'm gonna i guess like cycle them out of of timeout depending on like how long timeout uh takes place yeah. for Mo move them and along then... the timeout tracker or whatever yeah. Okay. I feel like those those turns feel relatively robust. I feel like I understand what's happening in the game. I understand what the different parts are. The next question I have is when do we decide that the rockets are done? Yeah. Um and um Yeah, when do we decide the rockets are done? And then what do we do next? Do we keep the shaking the table idea? Is that too silly? I really like that idea. Yeah, Dee. me too. I, I, I I'm I, glad that I you feel that way. Sick. <laughs> um, I kind of okay. So obviously the um the most fun and historically accurate uh, end game condition is purely someone decides that their rocket is ready, um and. Uh, it may or may not be. Um, 
I guess it could be you decide that your rocket is ready. Oh, You're this, absolutely someone... right that that is kind of how it has to be. Like someone kind of has to hit the red button, don't they? The trouble with this is that like you would hope that Okay, I've started wondering whether it would need to be played on two separate tables because you somebody decides their rocket is ready, they shake the table. If if their rocket collapses, then the other person can keep building without like the space race having been lost, right? Like I think it would have to be that someone at the end of their turn declares uh like we're going to launch mm-hmm. and then that gives the other player the term so they are then able to let's say like trade in any card for a nose cone mm-hmm. and put it on the top okay <laughs> so that whatever both players have like you know that you hear that your enemy is about to launch their space program and you're like oh, well shit we've got to do it like it mm-hmm. do- <laughs> it does not matter if we're ready or not like they can't beat us so we're launching but you have yes. just enough time to, to you know, whap a nose cone on it <laughs> and uh, strap in your brave That's the tagline of this game, whap a nose cone on it. Um, and, and then, like, once both players kind of, let's say, like, have their hands away from the table, mm-hmm. then the player who announced that they were going to launch shakes the table. I quite like, like, especially the shaking the table thing, because you can do it as gently or as hard as you want, right? Yeah, yeah. You can play it very safe, but then it's likely that your opponents will also stand. Mm. And I think you've still got to be on the other side of the Iron Curtain at this point. (laughs) Uh Or maybe both players have to do it, but the player who announced first goes first, if you see what I mean. Okay, yeah. Because I feel like then everyone gets a kind of a fair chance at doing it. And I guess the fun part about this is that, like, your your rocket could lose some parts and not be fully destroyed. Yeah. And it's the parts that are left on that will give you, the, like, that will contribute to whatever you score in, yeah, in the y- end. Yeah, your final points. Um, yeah, and I think that's... So something I've... This- completely sick why are we so good at this (laughs) we've had a couple of off weeks like we're but we're back on form (laughs) so something that i was thinking about with the parts rather than the junk art style model where like there's an exact part that you can go for Mm -hmm. i wonder if it's about like color coding or something like that so that you can you know grab a red part or a green part with with the card okay rather than a yeah. precise one um yeah i think i'm down for that but then you and can maybe... use your spying ability to like see and grab a precise part that your opponent has or something like that okay yes yes um uh, my thinking behind that being that like you don't want to you don't necessarily want to be able to use one of your powers and then permanently lose access to a particular mm-hmm. part okay yeah 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 um but you could also then maybe kind of balance the the cards against different colors if you see what i mean so that like um 
I don't know, maybe like rules that get you more money are always on the opposite side of yellow parts mm-hmm. or something. Like, so. Th- okay, yeah, yeah. So that, like, if, you, if you're aiming to have lots of different colours on your thing, then you have to use lots of different policies. Or if you're aiming to have a lot of the same uh, colour, then you can have a lot of uh, similar policies. It might, like, sort of switch up how you play. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um. <laughs> I feel like the core game is pretty much defined here and we've got 20 minutes to go so I think it's time to talk uh, like design and visual yeah I agree so are you still feeling the kind of like propaganda screen printed um, like vibe in terms of graphics I have to say I am uh, and I think like I'm definitely seeing it as kind of like a design-wise a game of two halves like the board is literally divided by what would have to be quite a tall kind of DM screen a relatively tall DM screen um I feel like the color palette should be relatively limited I guess red white and blue on one side and maybe like red white and yellow or red black and yellow on the other side mm-hmm. um and then, yeah, this sort of relatively simplistic screen-printed visual language, but you could, in keeping with the sort of historically accurate idea, you could sort of match it to socialist realism on one side and kind of a, a bit more of a Norman Rockwell kind of Americana feel on the other side. Yeah. Um, while still keeping them kind of tied together, not like completely visually divorced from one another, but maybe even kind of playing on the the similarities between the two cultures at the time rather than the differences. Mm-hmm. What do you think okay. about all that? I think that that is going to be very cool looking in terms of graphics because it's quite, you know, it is quite a strong graphical style and that one that's, you know, will like catch the eye. At least, you know, if if you're not going too, I guess, dull with it which has been known. Um, <laughs> I don't. I, I can't possibly think what you're referring to, but yes. But um, the, the flip side is that, like, you know, people who do love these, like, you know, old, historically accurate, um, you know, Cold War games will really love that too. I think that um, we can make it so there's kind of a contrast with, like, what our actual, like, pieces and structure look like. I kind of want to make that feel quite fun and and not like not exactly like junk art but I kind of want it to have that feel like yeah chunky and sort of to some extent colorful although you know colorful in, in kind of like a space um you know machine um way yeah um I I totally feel that and I feel like the that what we're looking for with the parts and the structure is maybe something more in kind of like the the sort of like Jetsons retro future you know space mm-hmm. space age like late 1950s early 1960s um shapes yeah. um maybe even in the colors as well like keep the colors a bit more neutral or different from the sort of nationalistic colours of the two sides and maybe keep them more in the, like, teals and oranges or something. 
mm-hmm. so that they they have a bit more of a kind of um yeah a sort of Jetsons feel to them maybe yeah I like that I was definitely imagining like you know like your kind of Payne's grey teal orange maybe like a kind of like rusty brown yeah um, yeah rusty brown would be quite nice like to kind of reflect uh yeah the sort of slightly jank nature of it and then I like the idea of the the parts kind of having like um you know like your your little like whatever's gonna fit them together whether it be like a a sort of plug plug with a socket or a groove with a a tongue or what have you but that that those elements are going to make the parts kind of feel nice and textured and greebly yeah I definitely I want it to feel nice nice to handle and nice to stack up I don't want it to feel too precarious like obviously it being precarious is part of the design but I don't want this to be like a constant threat of falling down like a game of junk art is I'd like it to have more of a Jenga like solidity Mm -hmm. Yeah. to it because I think yeah. you, you know I think you could have good games where both rockets survive launch yeah so I, yeah. I'd like that to be sort of facilitated in the design mm-hmm. everything's going to be kind of solid and everything's going to have at least one like good flat uh, surface that will you know like contribute to a stable structure yeah yeah it's and then it's up to you how hard you shake the table <laughs> and uh, and how much of a risk you take. So, I mean, I guess I want to do a little bit of an acknowledgement and this is something that, you know, like, we want to make games that are fun. I don't want to miss the point and kind of be like, this is an entirely funny, silly, but also historically accurate game about the Cold War. Like... It was a very politically complex time where a lot of bad things happened all over the world. Um, but I think that the space race is generally one part of it where we can sort of see, you know, this was like a proxy a proxy war where overall, you know, both, uh, like both participants were generally acting you know scientifically and stuff like it's one of the lighter parts i am i am not unaware that you know particularly in the soviet union it wasn't always all that light <laughs> but um you know i i, I the, one of the things about historically accurate games i guess that bothers me sometimes is thinking about like oh let's make a game about world war 2 this you know, <laughs> this thing. And what where... if it went differently? <laughs> yeah. Like, let's let's set it up as though we've thought really hard about historical accuracy and balance, and then yeah, and then we'll play it see out. See what happens. Yeah. Um. So I kind of yeah. I guess I kind of wanted to not leave that unaddressed. Um, yeah. Even if you know, I feel like this is kind of silly enough and light enough. But you know, we set out to do something that touched on historical accuracy, so I didn't want to like. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to talk about historically accurate games without touching on that element of them that's just kind of a bit grody to me. Like, that doesn't feel good. Like, Yeah, I mean, I think that we... Okay, yeah, like, we, this is, sure, this is light and, and maybe a bit silly, but, you know, A, I think there's precedent for, like, the space race being a thing that's a bit more touchable in that way. And 
be like, yeah, it's a little bit gross for any game to try and do some kind of like recreating history thing. Like games are silly and they're they're a means of fun and to act like it's super serious when you sit down and play like Normandy or whatever, like it's, you know, it is what it is and your attitude is important. Yeah, totally. Okay, well, that uh, that said, I feel like the only thing that's missing is a title, and I just I assume there is a game called Space Race. Uh, yes, there's got to be, right? Board Game Geek, help us out. <laughs> um, yeah, there absolutely is. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, you made a joke oh. of, about using like a city name. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? What What are you going to suggest? Oh, I don't know. I don't know what the um, right places are. I was thinking, what if it was some uh, like technical term for for like the the vibrations, right? Like, mm. um, I don't know if there is a technical term in space exploration for that. I can ask my NASA friend, um, but. Uh-huh. So I just looked up where cosmonauts launched from, uh, uh-huh. and it's a place called Baikonur, which is in what is now Kazakhstan, but was then the Kazakh Soviet Socialist Republic. So, uh, like Baikonur, we have a problem, <laughs> 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 like sort of smashing together two <laughs> two things. Um, uh-huh. I'm yeah. Uh, just Astro Cosmo. Oh, that's fun. Astro versus Cosmo. Yes. Okay. Uh, yes, this is good. So today we did. Uh, this was our Halloween episode, so we did trick or treat. We each bought uh one mechanic and one theme idea that we liked, and one mechanic and one theme idea that we didn't like. And we flipped three tails and a heads, giving us uh, three things that we don't like and one we do like. Our goal was to make a game that incorporated space exploration, historical accuracy, a points tracker, and putting things on top of other things. The game we have designed is called Astro vs. Cosmo. It is a sort of dexterity building game themed around the space race and the Cold War. Uh, and over to you for a bit of a description of play. <laughs> okay, so what we have is a largely um, hidden uh, two-player uh, versus uh, game uh, where you are building your rocket. There's a kind of asymmetrical element where one side starts with more financial resources and one starts with uh, more manpower. Um, and as you uh, build parts onto your rocket, you are gaining points on the points tracker. Those points can be traded in for like permanent abilities, and those abilities can be mortgaged for the ability to gain certain parts. Um, and uh, at the end of the game, there is a final uh, uh, element where one player will decide that they are ready for launch. 
the other player gets to finalize their rocket. The table is shaken by both players in turn. And whatever remains on the two structures is what gets scored for final objective points. Um, uh, it's sort of a bit of like an engine builder. It's a bit of a um, like resource game. It's got a lot going on. Yeah, it combines some things we really don't like with some things we really do like. I am super surprised by how we were able to make a game that I think sounds really good out of a bunch of ideas that I don't like at all. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So, well. um, hit hit us up, Osprey Games. Hire us. Yeah, for real. <laughs> we really need to start getting this in front of publishers. Uh, and, and just be like, look, we don't want to make the games, but we're really good at having ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Georgia, I think there might be kind of a lot of people in the hobby gaming space that feel like that. I don't think their ideas are as good as ours, Miriam. I've seen hobby games. (laughs) (laughs) And frankly, very few of them are as good as Astro vs. Cosmo. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's so true. (laughs) All right. Apart from the fact that they exist. Yeah, they do have that one advantage. Well, um, to our listener, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, Miriam, it's always so much fun. Yeah, this ruled. Um, you should check out our blogs, where I attempt to <laughs> hash the very loose job that we do on the podcast into something vaguely more resembling a real outline of a game. <laughs> Another thing that's also worth checking out on the blogs uh, is the video episodes that we do if uh, if you ever want to see a sort of more visualised version of our process, we have a lot of fun doing those. Um, yeah, we did a pretty cool one last time. We made, like, the next in the Forbidden Co-op Games series. Yeah. Again, we should tell them about that. They might want that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should tell them. <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, yeah, without further ado, thank you very much for listening. See you next time. The Caca! Caca!